Welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Iscaros. So far on the podcast, I've been able to do several things with you. The first is defining what Rinse and Repeat is, right? The vision for the podcast. And if you happen to miss that, I want to explain the reason why we chose the phrase Rinse and Repeat. It's drawn from Ephesians 5.26. And That passage says that he might sanctify and cleanse her, that is the bride, the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The washing of water by the word. It is a daily thing that we need, time in the word of God for that fresh washing that's really at the heart of sanctification and cleansing. And you know we're talking about sanctification and righteousness a whole lot with the names of God. So we've talked about the vision for the podcast, and we've also talked about the first couple aspects of my testimony. I've shared my testimony part one and two, where I really talk about my experience dating, then not dating, and all the things I learned during that period in my walk. Um, We also have looked at why we would study the names of God. We've explored some names of God. And of course, I've offered up some lanyap additions, right? Things that are on my heart that I get to talk to you guys about. And in all of that, I really felt like it was time for me to share the next installment of my testimony. So today is my testimony, part three. And I feel like it's particularly important because it touches on a theme that I keep hitting on in essentially every single podcast. So because it's something God is impressing on my heart so often, I want to link it to my testimony if I could. So I have explained that shortly after my conversion, I had an experience where I was trying to live in the world and live a godly life. And I really learned that I couldn't have both. And if you have missed that one, I invite you to check out podcast numbers two and three, and you can listen to that. Lots of exhortation there for unmarried people on building a strong devotional life. I shared lots and lots there. But to begin this, I wanted to share my actual conversion, and I hope that you find it edifying for you. And I also wanted to share two critical events that happened in my life since my conversion. So the backstory is uh, growing up, I lived in a relatively religious home, but it was a home that had a fair share of dysfunction and hardship. It was not an easy life. And given that environment and probably my own natural tendencies, I began to associate my worth, right? What I am worth as a human being, my worth with my performance, In other words, if I did well at school, if I behaved well, if I smiled a lot, if I kept my room clean, I would feel loved and appreciated and honored. And if I didn't do those things, well, not so much. So you learn really, really quickly growing up how to play the role and do the right thing because it's, of course, what's expected of you, but also at least for me, I felt like the only thing I could control was my own particular behaviors, and in particular, my academics. I said, I'm going to be the best student I could possibly be. And so I worked really, 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 really hard. I tell people all the time, I'm not particularly bright. And then my friends kind of give me a face, but uh, I'm not particularly bright, but I work like a mule. And as I worked hard, I got good grades. So I ended up going to a pretty prestigious school in New York City. 
And it was one night there on campus, my first semester, I walked into the John Jay dining hall and a young woman comes up to me and she says, hey, would you like to come to a Bible study? I mean, literally out of nowhere. She walked right up to me and that was the first and only thing she said in introduction. Would you like to come to a Bible study? And as shocked as I was by the question, I think she was more shocked by my answer because I go, yeah, sure. When can we start? I think her jaw fell open. I think her Bible fell out of her hands. It was just shocking to her. But before I continue with my story, can we just talk for a second about the boldness of that young woman? going up to a complete stranger on a campus that maybe espouses more atheism as higher thinking and a pragmatism, progressive whatever, instead of the old, I'm, I'm using air quotes here, the old time religions. So I really give her credit for obeying what God led her to do and not finding a way out of it. I can actually point my conversion to her faithfully obeying God's direction. So I do plan to find her one day and tell her that story. But I did start studying the Bible with her and others in earnest for the very first time in my life. And in studying it, I came face to face with myself for the first time in my whole life. See, I was a pretty good kid. I was a pretty good student. I kept a pretty clean room. Like outwardly, there was the trappings of goodness. But In reality, studying the Word of God taught me that I'm a sinful, broken person. I became keenly aware of my sin, and I came to receive Christ as Savior. Glory to God. I hope you could see me now. One of these days, I might do a video recording of myself as I do the podcast, and you'll see my arms flailing around and my legs kicking in midair. But basically, my whole life was about earning it. I want to earn it. I want to earn all of it. I want to earn, I want to work for it. I want to achieve it. I want it to be something that I grappled with and overcame. And fundamentally, that's not the gospel. The gospel I came to know in studying God's word is not about what I bring, but what he did. See, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I know many of you know this passage, but if you don't, scribble it down and commit this one to memory. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Do you know how that spoke to me? Not of works? Wait, there's something that is not of works? It was earth-shattering, mind-blowing information. See, the gospel isn't something I could earn. I was never supposed to. And that has really made all the difference. See, the beautiful thing that I have shared in previous podcasts, and I will share again, is studying God's word, seeing my sin, and seeing the solution to my sin really proved again and again that God's word has power. I know I'm a broken record with this message, but God's word has power. Hebrews 4.12, I know you know it, but another one we should commit to memory. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Did you catch that? 
The word of God is living and powerful. If someone comes up to you and says, ah, it's full of contradictions, ah, it's a dead document, ah, it's the work of the ancients, but has very little to do with today and the here and now, no, the word of God is living and powerful. I am living proof of how powerful it is. All I did was commit to studying it. I would read it. I would take notes. I would discuss it with my Bible study leader, and I was converted as a result. It was that simple and that profound. And that passage in Hebrews also says it's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Listen, it revealed my heart to me. It showed me my own sinful nature. And this is what I love the most about the Word of God. It doesn't just point to the problem and leave you condemned about it. It doesn't just say, oh, you sinner, and become a list of do's and don'ts and legalism. No, it reveals the solution to our sinful, broken lives. The solution for me was simple. It's Jesus. Ah, how I fell in love with him reading those words in red. And I was like, I want to follow Jesus. So I received him as Savior, and I proceeded then to have the experience that I shared with you in a previous podcast where I was studying the Word of God every day, and I read the passage when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and how that helped me to really prevent a very serious mistake I was going to make. But what I want to share now is fundamentally something that happened two years later during my junior year of college. So my radical conversion was my first semester freshman year. Second semester of my freshman year, everything went down with that young man. And then I had my him-only season in my sophomore year. That season, again, that one year where I wasn't dating anybody, I wasn't returning phone calls of men, I wasn't seeing anyone. All I wanted to do was go to class, do my work, and study God's word. And it was a game changer, an absolute game changer my sophomore year. But junior year, now things have changed. I am engaged and planning a wedding. I'm trying to earn the trifecta, you know, I'm trying to be Phi Beta Kappa at school, vying for a valedictorian position at the Women's College, which was Barnard where I went. I was trying to get departmental honors. I wanted to graduate, you know, summa cum laude. So pick three of those four things that, you know, the trifecta, and you'll know how stressful that period of time was. I mean, it was extremely, extremely stressful. To top it off, there was an incredible trauma that happened in one of my personal relationships. It was devastating, absolutely devastating. So as a result, I began the dance of anxiety. Uh, Does anyone know this particularly ugly dance where you get in bed, you're really tired, you may even fall asleep, and then your brain starts spinning? Come on, tell me, do you have that problem sometimes? Literally, my brain was churning and I just couldn't settle myself down. It was middle of the night, I want to say maybe two o'clock in the morning or something. And I woke up incredibly breathless and anxious. And lying there in the darkness of my tiny dorm room, I cried out to God in sincerity and desperation. I was really desperate. And he heard my cry and answered me so clearly. The first time I heard God's voice, audibly. And it said Colossians 3.2. That's all I heard. Colossians 3.2. Now, mind you, this isn't to sound strange or mystical. It's not like I walk around and I'm getting God talking to me in audible voices day in and day out. God answered the prayer of my heart by saying a chapter and a verse in the Bible to me. Now, 
before I get to what it says and why it was significant, I want you to know I'm a newer believer, right? I'm a year and a little into my walk with the Lord. I didn't know Colossians was in the Bible. I didn't know that if it was in the Bible, it had three chapters. I didn't know anything about anything. And remember, this is the (coughs) mid-1990s. I'm dating myself a little bit. (laughs) Don't calculate my age, please. Just leave it, leave it, leave it. But anyway, it's the mid-1990s. I don't have a Bible app. I don't have an iPhone. I don't have Google. Like I don't have any of the things that we would run to right now. So what I had to do was turn the light on in my room run over to my Bible, open it, table of contents, find a book of the Bible that looks like Colossians, right? That looks like Colossians and open it up. And wouldn't you know, when I opened it up, what Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. I'm going to say that to you again. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. This was mind-blowing, okay? And it was particularly significant for two reasons. First, God could have just given me the content of the verse. Instead of speaking to me audibly, Colossians 3, 2, he could have spoke to me audibly, Carol, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. But he didn't do that. He gave me a chapter and a verse to look up. Why? Why do you think God did that? Because he wanted me to develop a lifelong dependence on his word. He wanted me to run to it for direction and for hope, for everything I needed, because he promises he gives us all things pertaining to life and godliness. That's the promise of his word. So when he said Colossians 3, 2, he was teaching me, go to my word when you're anxious. Go to my word. But the second reason why it was so incredibly significant for me is that Prior to speaking that passage to me, I was fretting over things of the earth. I was fretting about my grades and my relationship in my family that was destroyed and planning a wedding. Do you ever have that where your brain just can't settle and it's this thing and it's that thing and you just round and round, you circle the drain. And basically in giving me this passage, God was saying to me, do not meditate on the things that are consistently freaking you out. Just like tell you guys in the Lanyap episode about Jehoshaphat, God wants my eyes up. He doesn't want me looking at other people. He doesn't want me looking within. He doesn't want me looking at the circumstances. He wants me to have my eyes up. Set your mind on things above. And it's a lesson. He knew my nature and he knew what I came out of. He knew my tendency and he wanted me to learn not to depend on myself, earning it. And and this is beyond the gospel not being about earning it. God was telling me, don't try to figure your life out on your own. Set your mind on things above and all of this other stuff. I've got it. You don't have to keep freaking out. I've got this. And let that be the message to each of us today. See, how is your relationship with the word of God? Is it speaking to you? Have you found a way to be consistent in it that it would minister to your soul again and again? Are you doing the rinse and repeat? And listen, after that moment, so after my Colossians 3-2 moment, I want to say, oh, my Christian life was just a bed of roses and it's been rainbows and unicorns. Newsflash, which is a Captain Obvious moment. No, my Christian life since those early days has not been a cakewalk. And anyone, listen, anyone who tells you that 
believe in Jesus and your life will be perfect and you'll never have problems and you'll never suffer. They are peddling a false gospel. Those people who are telling you you should be driving a Mercedes and live in a nice house and have nice clothes and have no problems and no health issues, they are selling you something. And it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at any of the biblical followers of God and you will see that they suffered. They had difficulty. Pick one. Pick any of the apostles, save John. They all died as a result of their faith. Think about that for a second. The one that we name ourselves after was hung on a tree like a thief, like a criminal. And 2 Timothy 3.12, if you don't know it, 2 Timothy 3.12 says it this way, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So you can suffer persecution for your faith, but you can also be tested in a variety of ways. And in my Christian life, I've experienced the normal difficulties, you know, anyone would, relational things and financial things and health things. Certainly, I talk uh, significantly about my health, marital things. And the difference, though, is God has been with me in every step. I want to record a lanyap edition of just the miraculous things God has done in answer to my prayer life. It would amaze you again and again how he has answered. And one of the examples early on, I'm getting a little bit out of order, but in our married life, maybe a couple months in, my husband was falsely accused with some others at an old job of stealing, bilking money, something like that. And neither my husband and I are honestly capable of that. I'm not smart enough to do some of the things I can be accused of doing, but it was like a multi-million dollar lawsuit. And it was terrifying. We're like newlyweds with, we didn't even have two pennies to rub together. And I didn't have any solutions in my own power. Listen to me. I didn't have anywhere I could go or earn or fix it. And God did it. God fought for us. God defended us. My cousin's an attorney. She helped me out and she wrote some letters. And God basically revealed that this had nothing to do with us whatsoever. And it went away. But the point is, I could tell you hundreds of stories like that. Difficulty came, but God was with us in every step. Now, as I'm walking this walk, especially in my early days, nearing the end of my college career, my walk with Christ, some things in me changed overnight, right? I used to cuss like a sailor, and God worked immediately and miraculously on my tongue. He morphed my interests. He really did some miraculous, quick work in me. But then there were some things in me, especially early childhood things that didn't go away quickly. And namely, one of them was this haunting feeling that I was invisible. That was my favorite word for myself. I'm invisible. No one sees me. No one hears me. I'm just invisible. And sadly, that mentality that I was invisible carried into my married life and ultimately into my mothering. So when my husband would intentionally or unintentionally blow me off or dismiss me, I took it very hard and I I felt so deeply overlooked. When my kids failed to follow my instructions or ignored me, again, uh, intentionally or unintentionally, I would take it a lot harder than I probably ever should have because of this underlying wound that had never healed. And I'll give you maybe a hilarious case in point. 
the infamous issue of laundry in my house. As you might imagine, I had four kids pretty close together. You know, every three calendar years we had a baby. So I had a lot of laundry and I would faithfully wash it, fold it and put it in baskets. And their job was to separate it and put it away. That's been our system as a family forever. And for a long time, I would do my part. I'd put the laundry baskets in the hallway in front of their bedrooms in our home in New Jersey. And then the laundry would inevitably sit and sit. They would go basket diving for clothing, meaning that all the clothes inevitably got unfolded and scrambled all over the place, but they wouldn't take the baskets and they wouldn't put them away unless I stood on top of them and said, get the clothes in your rooms and put them in your drawers. One week, I actually did an experiment and I had like four baskets in the hallway and I waited and I waited. And I think I was on week two. Maybe I was approaching week three and the laundry hadn't been put away. And I just lost my mind. I lost my marbles. I just started screaming. Why am I invisible? Why does no one in this family see me? Why do I have to do everything? Why do I still have to earn everything? I mean, it was just bad. That spirit culminated and became incredibly serious approaching my 40th birthday. Our church, again, I was on staff at Calvary Chapel Old Bridge in New Jersey for a long time, and we would put on an annual radio outreach at the beach at the Jersey Shore. It was called Bridge Fest, and I was responsible for a lot of the interviews with the speakers and also for the notes for the MCs and the flow of the night of the concert. So I had a lot of important documents on my laptop, which I put in my bag, and we basically had to pack the whole car and go to the beach town and stay there over the course of the outreach. So I had packed the car up, and my husband didn't mean it, but he unpacked it to rearrange it, basically because he was planning with my best friend a surprise for me at the beach, and so he needed to buy time. So he basically rearranged the car just to buy some time so we wouldn't get there too early, and he forgot my laptop bag behind the wheel well of the car and he proceeded to run it over. Yeah. And I had sent some notes, but the final touches for all of the things for the entire event, which is the next day were destroyed. And I hadn't backed them up to the cloud at the time. How do you think that went y'all? Whoo. So I want to say I took it in stride and I was calm and I was patient and I was gracious. I was none of those things. I basically wailed and screamed for the hour-long drive to the beach from my house. I was screaming. I was like, yet again, I am invisible. Yet again. And there was something else going on here because fundamentally, my husband was trying to slow us down. They're planning a birthday surprise for me at the conclusion of the conference, the outreach. My friends and my family put on a surprise 40th birthday for me. So he was desperately just trying to slow us down and made a mistake. And in that, all of my junk came out loud and hard and fast. Then the birthday party happened and something miraculous happened at that party. Person after person started to stand up and share what I meant to them. And I stood there with my mouth open. I was really agape, 
trying to understand what was happening, but people were fundamentally eulogizing me. See, you think a eulogy is only at a funeral, right? But really it means a speech of praise in honor of someone. It's just typically given after they're dead. I had the blessing of having people eulogize me while I was in the room and while I was still alive. And you would not believe the difference it made. Person after person saying, I helped them with their walk with the, the Lord or help them with their mothering or help them nursing a newborn or, or whatever. And I began to feel the truth start burning off the lies I was believing about myself. I believed I was invisible. I never was, but I believed it. And God used all of that truth and all of those speeches, again, words to beat back lies. See, in knowing Christ, we will know the truth and the truth will make us free. That day I began to see truth and it delivered me miraculously. And that's really why I want to emphasize this portion of my testimony to all of you. First of all, message within the message, before the message, after the message, listen. Tell people why they matter while they're still living. Tell people what they mean to you. Don't delay. Send that text. Write that letter. Make that phone call. Appreciate the people in your life. You will never regret doing so, honestly. And in my case, it saved me from the bondage I was living under. And that's really why I want to emphasize for you too, that was truth about me. That was how people saw me. But how about the way God sees us? How about God's perspective? You keep reading in that chapter in Ephesians that I just quoted earlier, and you see, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Listen, you are his workmanship. That's what the word of God says. That means you are his masterpiece. That's what workmanship means. You are his masterpiece. So being in God's word is about learning truth about yourself, about the world around you, about your circumstances. It is a life game changer. Why do you think Satan is working overtime to keep you out of the word of God? Why do you think that is? Because everything you need to live a godly life is found in the pages of that book, as long as, of course, they're enlightened by the Holy Spirit living in you. They're just words if you aren't his. It's like our pastor in New Jersey used to always say, it's like reading somebody else's mail. But when you belong to Christ, those words have power. They change your life. They are what Romans 15, 4 says. Listen to this. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Did you hear that? Scripture gives you patience and comfort. And ultimately, that leads to hope. Are you hopeless? Get your nose in the Word of God. Do you need comfort? Oh, the Comforter, would you fill me a fresh Holy Spirit and get your nose in the Word? It is so rich and so important. And you all know 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it teaches you and it changes you. It shows you the way and it lights the way while you're walking. That's what the Word of God does. And if there's no other more important part of my testimony, I will say this. 
How is your relationship with the Word of God? Are you reading it? Are you studying it? Are you letting it change you? Are you committed to rinse and repeat? I hope you enjoyed this installment of my testimony, really my testimony part three. This has been Rinse and Repeat with Carol Escaros. It's such a joy to record these and to hear from you and how they're impacting you. You can email me at caroliscaros at gmail.com. My last name is spelled E-S-K-A-R-O-S caroliscaros at gmail.com. You can also find me on social media. I'm Carol Morgan Escaros on Facebook or my handles at caroliscaros on Instagram. All of those ways I would love to hear from you, what has impacted you, any questions you might have. As I've mentioned before, we're going to have a Q&A version of the podcast soon, and I hope that that'll be a good time looking at your questions. And I certainly hope that you will join me next time for Rinse and Repeat. Thank you.